Welcome to the Kitchen Sink meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Please note, we will be holding this meeting via Zoom for the foreseeable future. If you'd like to attend the meeting live, go to oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Good morning, everybody. My name is Hank Nyer. I'm an abstaining compulsive overeater. At uh, November 30th, I celebrated 32 years of imperfect abstinence one day and one night at a time. I think about one day is easy. It's the nighttime meeting that used to get to me. So it's a day and a night at a time. And uh, my top weight was 404 pounds. I'm now around 250, something like that. I've been lower. I've been higher. Um, And my abstinence is perfectly imperfect. Um, there's a woman that many of us know who is a regular at Serenity Sunday, and I'm not going to say her name, but she, she was always starting over and starting over and starting over. And finally, her sponsor told her, is if you do the same thing every day for 30 days, then you get to start over. So if you have a day or a day or two or whatever, and that's given me some, um, I hate to say wiggle room, but it's given me some wiggle room that I do that. And then sometimes I want something that's really is uh, that could cause me problems, but I just really, really want it. And what I do with that, if I get it, I take a handful or two before I start and throw it away. So as long as I'm not eating all of it, that gives me some license. And I don't, I've never come close to doing it 30 days in a row, and maybe one or two, or maybe three days at the outside. So I worked my program when I came in. Um, hardly. I'll tell you a story. When I first came in, nobody, very few people had computers and, and things like that. And I found a, a sponsor. I, I found out later that I was his first sponsee. And I asked him to sponsor me. He said, call me tomorrow at 10 minutes to 7. And I started doing that. And, doing it. and one day I called him at 8 minutes to 7, and he hung up on me. He was teaching me discipline. And, you know, and we became friends. He's since passed away. A lot of people remember Irving. And I was his first sponsor. So one day, and I, um, and when I was 400 pounds, 300, 400 pounds, I didn't know that airlines had uh, seatbelt extenders. So I would always, if I flew, I would sit in the plane with a jacket over my lap so that they couldn't see that I wasn't buckled in. And I was always, my fear was that there'd be turbulence and I'd be rocketed out of the seat and not, and hit somebody. But you know, I was so wedged into the seat, it was impossible. So my weight loss was pretty dramatic. I lost 100 pounds in six months. And I had to fly uh, from L.A. or from Burbank to uh, Sacramento on business. And lo and behold, the seatbelt went around me. And I got to the hotel, uh, got to the hotel, and I called Irving. He said, maybe you should get down on your knees and thank your higher power. And that started me where, unless I'm sick or something or in the hospital, and as I've gotten older, there have been some of those, I'm on my knees every morning. I have a prayer pillow that's a, a member of OA gave me 20 years ago that I still keep, and I and I get on my knees on that pillow every morning and say my prayers. And I remember my wife, I was married at the time, saw me on my knees, and she said, that's the last straw. You've joined a cult. Jews do not get down on their knees. Well, she was wrong. Jews do, do get down on their knees. So you better go talk to the rabbi. So I went to talk to the rabbi, and what he, I'll never, what he said was, Hank, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. You know? And and I did that. And I like to tell this story, too. I believe anybody, no matter what the addiction, if they're in recovery, 
can move any place almost in the world and have an easier time than somebody who has no addictions. Because we get find a meeting and we have an instant community. So about, um, this is a long time ago, my, one of the last trips my wife and I took was to New Orleans with another couple for a weekend. And every time we went away, my wife got, always got sick the first morning there. So uh, that happened, and I picked up the phone and found a meeting and went to a meeting at, at a hospital. I think I took a taxi cab to where to the hospital, and I shared at the meeting for about three minutes. I was visiting from California and uh, just here wanted to check in, and that was it. And I went on my way. Six months later, I'm divorced now or separated, and I'm moving to Washington, and people in L.A. are giving me scraps of paper with names of people they knew in Washington that I should call when I got there and get settled in. So I had about a dozen pieces of paper and my company was putting me up for three days, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And I arrived in a snowstorm. I think it was February of 1992, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, um, and the company was only putting me up for three nights, Saturday, Sunday, and, and Monday. And uh, the first piece of paper I picked out of my pocket, I called, and the person who answered had been at the meeting in New Orleans six months earlier, recognized my voice, told me where to meet her the next day on Sunday where there was a meeting. So I went to that meeting, got a meeting list, um, went to work on Monday, the first day of work after the meeting. I went to, uh, I went after work, I went to the OA meeting, said I need a place to live. I have two German shepherds. I don't care what it's like as long as they let me move in with my dogs. Somebody at the meeting lived in a, in a huge apartment complex, like 300 units, and probably 200 of the residents owned dogs. I went there, got settled in. I rebuilt my life. I slept on a mattress that somebody gave me. Somebody gave me a beach chair, and I rebuilt, rebuilt my life. I, I've just done that. And it says in the big book, we were reborn, and I actually was reborn 32 years ago. So chronologically, um, I'm 79 years old plus a few months, but I'm also 32 years old. I think I'll take the 32 as opposed to the 79. The 79 comes with a lot of aches and pains from all those years and years of being ob morbidly obese. Uh, I'm paying the price now. Uh, for a lot of, I have lower back problems. I'm a veteran, and I'm at the VA all the time for, for things like that. I just had a procedure. I felt fine the first two hours afterward. The pain is worse. I have to go back this morning and say, listen, we have to do something because I'm walking with a cane now. It's debilitating. Uh, I'm committing uh, today that uh, there's a jacuzzi where I live, and uh, the jacuzzi, getting in the jacuzzi and doing exercises while, while sitting in front of the, uh, the jets on my back, that helps, and then I come back into the house and I ice it. So I'm alternating between heat and ice. Um, people say, what's the best time to call? I always say before you eat. You know, and I've done that. I've visited people in the hospital. I've had people visit me in the hospital from OA. Um, you guys, I, I owe my life. I actually was reborn into this thing. So, like, I'm chronologically 79, but I'm also 32, you know. So I'll take the 32, even though it feels like 79 plus 20 at times. How much time do I have left? Anybody know? You have 12 minutes left. 12 minutes left. Okay. Um, you know what I like to do? I, I could go on story after story after story. 
if it's okay, I don't, is this a break? If anybody has any question to be how I work the program, I'll tell you how I work it. I get up in the morning. I get on my knees. I say the first three steps on my knees. I asking, I thank God for another day of absence. Please help me stay today. Uh, I get up. I take the dog for a walk or take her to the dog park or do whatever I'm doing. Come back, have breakfast. Usually my breakfast is the same, but I have to go to the supermarket. I'm out of cereal. I'm out of yogurt. I'm, I'm out of things. I eat a lot of apples, not a lot, uh, maybe three apples a day. Uh, my, the fruits that I like are apples and blueberries. Those are the ones. Uh, I rarely eat any any other fruit. I eat a lot of vegetables. Uh, I don't eat red meat anymore. I was uh, diagnosed with gout, so I, I very, very, very rarely will have, will have a steak or anything like that. If I go someplace, it's usually uh, a any. People say, how can you eat out? Every restaurant has a salad. <laughs> there isn't a restaurant around with a salad. And someplace I know where it's big, where they, it's almost enough for two people, I say, do me a favor, just bring me half and pack the other half before I even see it. They will accommodate us if we, if we, if we ask for it in a nice, in a nice way. Uh, I have to take care of myself because there's no one around to take care of me. You know, there's no, there's nobody there who's going to do it. It's my higher power in me. Um, I traveled to, um, I went to a meeting in Israel when I was, uh, an OI meeting in Israel when I was there. Um, let's see where else. I haven't gone out of the country, country I mentioned. I went, oh, my first sponsor, I was his first sponsor. He moved when the, when George, the second George Bush, the George Bush, the unit, his, a lot of people remember Irving, his ashes with what's going on politically must be in turmoil now. But he moved to Oaxaca, Mexico, and I went there and spent a week with him. We went to meetings every day, AA meetings, and uh, and it was there. And I remember I forgot I took an apple with me, uh, and I forgot that I had it with me. And when I got to the airport, uh, they took the apple. I said, don't take it. I'll eat it now before I come into Mexico. Said, it's too late. You're here. They took my apple. You know, those are the kind of stories. And I love to make people laugh at me because I, I may have said this before. I said, we burn more calories by laughing than we do by crying. So if I can get somebody to laugh just a little bit, and I did that earlier today with some of my comments, then, then I've done my job. I've done what I, what I set out to do. Carrying the message. What it says in the, in the big book, we're not a glum lot. We're not a glum lot. And uh, this disease, I think, is probably more insidious than the alcohol because, let's say, well, alcoholics, you know, we have to drink. Well, we have to drink three times a day, you know, whatever. Um, I, I guess I'm kind of rambling. I don't know what else I could say. You know, I don't know if this is a break in format. If anybody has any questions, we'd rather do that. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are Hank's own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon and the secretary will call on you and unmute you um, and you can ask your question. Um, just as a heads up, guys. So today we do have elections, so we will be stopping the questions part of the meeting at 940. So, um, all right. So first question, first hand up, I see. Morning. Thanks, Julie. So, Nancy? See your hand up. Okay. My name is Nancy Beecham, and I am a compulsive overeater. 
Um, my dear Hank, I have known you for 32 years since you walked into this program. And it's hard sometimes. I've been here 44, and I'm maintaining 150 pounds, as you know. And it's very hard for us to go back and remember. So I'd like to jog your memory and ask you if you would share with us, in the beginning, did you go to a lot of meetings? Did you go to a lot of AA meetings? What influenced you the most? And did you do some service? I kind of remember seeing you at lots of birthday parties and lots of conferences. I saw you everywhere. And since you're a Valley boy, I was seeing you a lot in L.A. And I want to know a little bit more about how you worked that program on a daily basis. And the other thing is, could you share with us a little about maybe how your life has changed? If you could go back and dig up and remember the people you ran around with then and the things that you believed and, and the actions that you took, can you tell us a little about how they're a little bit different possibly now? Thank you. What a great question. Um, thanks, Nancy. Yeah, we, we go back a long way. So um, at the beginning, I thought I was only allowed to go to the 100-pounders meeting. That was <laughs> And I, and I went there and then it was, it was about a month. And then, um, on New Year's Day, um, so this would have been 1989, January 1st, 1989, there was a meeting and, um, there was a men's stag meeting. I started going to that and they opened it up and there was a guy, I forgot his name, but he said, the reason women wear tight dresses to OA meetings is so the guys will keep coming back. And there was, there was an attractive woman at this meeting, and here I am, married. I was probably old enough to be her dad, and she said, and they had the studio me- meeting at the Studio City Park. And she said, are you going to go to that meeting? I said, well, yeah, why not? You know, I went there. So we followed them around, and, and I went to that meeting, and that's where I met Irving. Uh, I said it was my first sponsor. And, and he shared, um, and I mean, he lost 80 pounds. And I said, How, I liked what he said, but he said, he can't relate to me. I'm a 100-pounder. And he said, had he known there was such infamy in being a hundred pounds, he would have waited a month or two before he joined. So that's when I realized, that, and I didn't know I was his first sponsee. So he made all his, he'd say he made all his mistakes on sponsoring on me. I was the beneficiary of that. And, and we, and we did some things. We went shopping together. Um, and I did that. Uh, I don't know how I got to go to Serenity Sunday the first time, but I, I liked the meeting. And I started going to that. So I was going to, uh, I began going to the Wednesday night 100 pounders meeting in the Valley at the Darby office, which now moved. Then I was going to the men's stag on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon in the park. So I'd go to two meetings on the day. Then I would go to Serenity Sunday. And eventually it got there. So I'll tell you another story how I worked the program. And I, and I said, I talk about moving. I also took this program to Arizona with me when I lived there. And, oh, when I moved, um, and in the big book, in, in the AA, OA 12 and 12, rather, they talked about there was a schism in the Phoenix area. There was a group, and they split up, and then they got back together. And I was on the committee that got them back together when I lived there. And when I went to a world service meeting, I said, the big book has to, our book has to be, and they made, an, uh, an ad, a, they made a note about it, saying that, because you're saying they split up. You should, but the next time you print it, you should say that they worked and got back together again. That, I think, is one of my the fondest accomplishments that I have of all the things that I've done in OA. 
getting them to put that and recognize that we have our differences, we work them out, and we've reconciled. So when I see that in the big book, that, that's my contribution to, the, to uh, there. Um, somebody said, what's her name? From, oh, she's going to kill me. Oh, who lives in Palm Springs, Nancy? Judy, Judy, Judy. So I met Judy H. Judy H. You know, this thing We're is on at, tape. <laughs> at, the, at the level of press, radio, films, television. In the meetings, and I've said this before, if Nancy, God forbid, you're in the hospital, I say, I'm looking for Nancy. I can say, I, I want to speak, see, visit Nancy Beecham, you know, whatever. So I'm breaking your hand. My last name is Nyer, N-E-Y-E-R. I say, I say it out because it's at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Meetings are not public media of communication. We, 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 it's an obligation to tell people. I've visited people in the hospital. I've visited people and I've been visited by people in the hospital. I underwent a quadruple bypass in recovery. You know, so it, it's there. Did I answer your question or did I just ramble on some more or both? Terrific. Just tell us about some of the things that have changed that you had to give up. People, places, and things. My ex-wife. <laughs> that gave, didn't you. No, gave up. No, that's good. That didn't help you to abstain. And, and, and here's the thing. So she said I owed her a lot of money, and I didn't understand it, but I was started paying it off, and I rebuilt my life. And, and I found a piece of paper. I, she lent me some money. She paid for something. And I went, and every time I, I would give her the money, she would be surprised that I that I changed so much, that I'm following through on what I said. And I went through some papers. I found this, and I added up the checks. And the last time I visited her was the last amount that I owed her. And I went to see her again. I said, listen, you were right. I was wrong. You've been so patient. And I gave her another $100 or $200 as interest for having to wait so long. That's how I've changed. That's one of the things that I changed. That now I consider myself a man of integrity before I, before I was a, a bullshit artist. A Picasso when it came to bullshit. Okay, Nancy, would good? Yep. Okay. Any so, yep, I have a question, uh, and there's a few other questions. So I would like to know, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with your higher power and how, um, how like, from 32 years of being in program, how it's evolved and changed, and um, what what is it like now? I don't know if it's changing. I get on my knees every morning. I have a prayer pillow that a friend in OA gave me. She didn't give it to me as a prayer pillow, but I made it my prayer pillow because it, the floor is hardwood and it gets, hurts my knees. So I get it on the pillow every day. And while I'm on my knees, I feel the first three steps. I think, thank you for my life as it is. Thank, please take care of my children and grandchildren, the rest of my family. Take care of my fellows in Overeaters Anonymous. Take care of my neighbors. You know, take care of my dog. Uh, please keep me straight today. No, that I do that every morning. That's one thing. That's one thing I do, and I never prayed before. I would go to a synagogue on the high holy days, and I know what they were saying. At least I know in a way what we're saying. Thanks, Hank. Next question is Stephanie. Hi, thanks so much for your share. I was wondering if you could talk about what it was like in like the first 90 days to six months of your abstinence and like the feelings that come up and how you dealt with that? Okay. That's a great question. And um, I'll try to remember. Um, 
Oh, so in the beginning, as I said, I went to Weight Watchers, so that was my food plan. And Irvin, I could eat whatever Weight Watchers said I could eat. So I was going to meetings there, and I was getting weighed in. And, and before that, 20 years before I came into OA, I was a paid Weight Watchers lecturer who got fired for gaining back the weight. You know? Um, so it was whatever Irving said I could eat. I think I shared this story when I changed my mind about something. I had to find a payphone to call and tell him that I did. And he said, just lighten up. Just tell me it's protein. I don't care what the hell it is. You know? So I've loosened it up a little bit. Does that answer your question? I hope. If not. Well, like the feelings that come up when you're first abstinent because, you know, oh, it's so, so much time bearing the feelings with the food. Like when we give up those foods, the feelings that come up and how you deal with that. In all, in all honesty, I don't recall. I, I'm being honest. I, I don't remember. I, I just don't change. I know what it's like now. I, I try to put the fork down when I go into a restaurant. I, I used to have the fork it was always in my hand. It was like a, a, another finger kind of thing. I put the fork down and, and try to chew my food. Of course, before, of course, before I was inhaling it. Oh, this is another thing I forgot to say. My parents owned a candy store, Luncheonette, when I was growing up. So I had access to all the candy that I wanted and, and all the ice cream and all the things. I made my first egg cream for a paying customer. They tell me at the age of three years old, I was such a cute kid that there was this one customer. He would only take it if I was there would make it for him. I don't remember that, but that's just, I remember being told that. We've got five more minutes. Okay. Next up is Mark. Hi, Hank. Thanks for your share. Um, definitely you were one of the uh, first people that I met when I came into OA a couple of years ago. Um, when entering OA and starting the program, how has your relationship with your family changed and how you deal with them and when they still do the same behaviors that are in the same triggers and how you respond to that? Wow, that is an interesting question. That is that is something. There's been time estranged. Um, I was not invited. I paid for my daughter's first wedding. I was not invited to her second one. Uh, it was a small wedding. I, I didn't even know about it. Uh, she married. I, I, I like both of her husbands. Um, she got married at the age of 18 or 20. I came in right after her wedding. Her first wedding was my bottom because I didn't think they'd find a tuxedo big enough to fit me. And, I, and, my, and my plan was to go and to the tuxedo store, get an empty bag, hang it in the closet, wake up the day of the, of the wedding sick. So now I have that relationship. We're, we're healing somewhat. I may, we're talking about me possibly moving back to the Phoenix area because she's concerned with my health as it is not relating to the weight anything, but uh, some health issues that I have. And uh, even though I'm having a, a category, and my oldest granddaughter, who's 27, lives in Brentwood now, and I had a friend drop me off at the VA last Monday for a procedure, and my granddaughter came and picked me up and took me home, brought me home, and we're doing the second part of the procedure. It's this coming in 48 hours, and uh, she's going to bring me back, and, and uh, I was so proud of her, that, you know, 27-year-old young woman who's willing to do that to their grandmother. I missed out on a lot because of the disease. So the relationship is improving slowly one day. Rarely talk to my son. Um, for his birthday, he turned 50. Both my kids are, both my children are younger, middle-aged adults. They're both in their 50s now. For his 50th birthday, I sent him a $50 check, a $50 bill. I went to the bank and got a $50 bill. So I did a dollar a year, it's worth it. So 
Anyway, I hope that answered it. So it changes. Next up, we have Lillian, and we have a few more minutes. Just, I wonder, do you ever use the tenth step, like in your life, in your day-to-day life? Not food necessarily, but when you run into issues or problems or things that you can't deal with, your best efforts are in helping you. What do you do? I pray about it and write about it and talk about it. I do it. That's that's what I do. I, I I'm an only child. I may have said it before, so I'm an isolator by nature. Going to the meetings, I love the meetings. Zoom and and I have short-term memory loss. Zoom meetings are not my favorite thing in the world. I'd rather spend, and how I'm working the program during this pandemic, for me, I've lived so many places. I know people all over the country in a way that I'll call two or three or four people, try to do it each day, and spend a few minutes on the phone, one-on-one with them. That's what's working for me at this stage of my life, as opposed to I'm not comfortable with this technology. So that's how I I do that. I'd rather be on the phone, one-on-one with somebody, and, and spend some time with them. Okay, and Carol, take us home. You're on mute. Computer problems. There There we go. go. It was like the last minute. Um, Hank, this is not a one-minute question, but maybe since you're such a a seasoned veteran, you can answer it. Talk a little bit about those those loved ones you have in and out of program who, um, for whatever reason, can't seem to take care of themselves and how you how you have compassion for them, detach with love, sneak ways to help them. Like, how do you how do you help people who don't seem to be able to help themselves? One minute. Go ahead. <laughs> That's a great question, Carol. I, I had never thought about it in that thing. I would say what I could just do is put them on my prayer list. That's it, a simple thing. Let's put them on the prayer list. 